I fear not the dark itself, but what may lurk within it. Welcome to Lurk, bringing you creepy, strange, and bone-chilling stories with your host, Jamie Jackson. Welcome to this week's episode. This week's topic was voted on by people in the Lurk Facebook group, so if you're interested in voting on future topics, make sure you go over and join our group. This week's episode is entitled The Batman Murder. Sorry to disappoint you, but no one was dressed as Batman. The murder has absolutely nothing to do with Batman. It's just the moniker that the media gave the murderer. That's a few too many M's there, but whatever. He was also known as the ghost in the garret. We will actually get into all that. You'll learn why he was called that as we get into the story. This is a an odd one. It's a strange murder, love triangle. I think it's incredibly creepy. But let's get into the story and you can kind of judge for yourself. So our story begins actually in Chicago, Illinois, with Walburga Koschel, who was born in 1880, possibly in Imperial Germany, and then moving to the United States with her parents. But there's a little uncertainty about whether or not Walburga was born in Germany or if she was born shortly after her parents arrived in the United States. Either way, she and her parents settle in Chicago. At some point in her life, Walburga got the nickname Dolly, so I will end up using the name Dolly towards the middle of the episode, or maybe in the next piece of information that I talk about. Walburga, or Dolly's father, abandons the family, and she leaves school to go to work in a hat factory at the age of 12. In 1894, at the age of 14, she meets Fred Oosterreich, and they marry in 1897. He was three years older, so they met she was 14, he was 17. They have a child, a boy named Raymond, in 1900, and the family moves from from Chicago to Wisconsin. Fred and Dolly open up a textile factory that manufactures women's aprons. The two end up getting a pretty decent business going. But Fred was known to be difficult to work for, and while Berga, working as the forelady, spent time going behind Fred and smoothing over hurt feelings with the employees. In 1910, their son Raymond gets scarlet fever and dies. The death of their son had a negative effect on their marriage and caused a rift between the couple. Fred began drinking heavily, and he also joined the Christian Science Church, which caused quite a few problems between the two. There were rumors that Dolly started carrying on several affairs, and that some of those affairs actually started from the very beginning of the marriage, not just at the start of the more difficult times. She allegedly invited her lovers into her home when Fred was at work at the factory. Some information said that Dolly had an insatiable sex drive that Fred couldn't keep up with 
or just couldn't be bothered with. In 1913, Dolly is at the factory one day overseeing the work when one of the sewing machines stops working. After being notified, the factory repairman comes in to fix the machine. The repairman is Otto Sanhuber, a short, skinny, blue-eyed young man. Otto was an orphan who thought his age was around 16 or 17. It's believed his last name was Ware prior to being adopted into the Sanhuber family. Some people speculate that Otto's young age brought up Dolly's mothering instinct, and that, coupled with her sexual attraction to Otto, became a dangerous mix. It, it actually became a pretty disgusting one, if you ask me. But Dolly wanted Otto. So one day, when Fred is working at the factory, and Dolly is home alone, she calls Fred and complains to him that her sewing machine is broken. Fred, of course, promises to get the repairman out to the house. And, of course, that repairman is Otto Sanhuber. It's said that Dolly answered the door in stockings, slippers, and a silky bathrobe when Otto knocked at the door. She took him to the bedroom where her sewing machine was located and little by little exposed more of her skin until eventually they were rolling around on the bed having sex. In in case that innuendo wasn't clear, they are having sex on the marital bed. Another version of the story that I saw was that Raymond Oosterreich, Fred and Dolly's son, was still alive when Otto came to the house, and he began coming to the house regularly to visit with Raymond until Raymond died unexpectedly, and then the affair with Dolly began. I don't really think that this version is accurate, because of the ages and the dates. I looked on the website Find a Grave and found Raymond Oosterreich's grave marker and the information, and he did in fact die in 1910, and he had not yet celebrated his 10th birthday. So um, if you are familiar with this case at all, or you look into it, I'm going to say based on the information I found that that account of how Otto and Dolly ended up having an affair is not accurate. I mean, I, I guess I, I could be wrong. I don't really think that I am wrong. I'm rarely wrong, ask my husband. But I'm sticking with the answering the door in silky robe and stockings version. So it didn't take long for Dolly and Otto to begin having a crazy love affair. At first, they began their affair like most people would, secretly meeting at hotels but soon Otto would begin coming to the Oosterreich's house. The neighbors obviously grew suspicious, even when Dolly tried to tell them that Otto was just her vagabond half-brother. Some of the concerned neighbors, of course, alerted Fred of the strange business going on in his house during the day, but Dolly told Fred it was just a door-to-door salesman who was being pushy and that she had managed to finally get rid of him. But Fred, not so dumb, hires an investigator who finds Dolly and Otto in bed in a hotel, and Fred arrives. Dolly promises Fred that she's breaking things off with Otto, and after signing over some personal items to make up for the alienation of affections, the issue is closed. But Dolly didn't want to give up her teenage lover. 
So Dolly decides the best option is to move Otto into a small room in the Oosterreich attic. Otto quit his job, and since he didn't really have any family, he moved into the tiny room in Dolly's attic and spent all his time there, unless he was with Dolly. Living secretly in the attic meant Otto had to be silent whenever Fred Oosterreich was home. At night, Otto would spend his time reading mysteries by candlelight and writing pulp fiction stories he hoped to have published. During the day, while Fred was at work, Otto spent time with Dolly, having sex, cleaning her house, and making bathtub gin. And bathtub gin is exactly what it sounds like. Hooch made in a tub illegally. For five years, Dolly and Otto continued their strange relationship. Then in 1918, Fred tells Dolly they're selling the house and moving to Los Angeles. You'd probably think this would be the end of this bizarre love story. The love story this isn't because there's really nothing at all about love in any of this. But no, Dolly tells her husband, yeah, she'll move out to California, but the house that they buy needs to have an attic. Fred, who has no clue what is going on in his attic, agrees. So Dolly manages to find a house overlooking Sunset Boulevard that has an attic. And she sent Otto ahead to California so he'd be there waiting for her when he arrived. Actually, after moving Otto into the attic the first time, the Osterreichs moved a total of five times, and each time Otto would go ahead of them to build his little attic room and set himself up before Fred and Dolly moved in. And each of his rooms had very little in them, just a bed, lamp, chamber pot, and a chair. Life continued on the way it had once Fred and Dolly moved to L.A., with Fred gone during the day, Otto spending time with Dolly while Fred is away, and then retreating to his small cramped hideaway by evening. For four more years, this is how life was, until one evening on August 22, 1922, and Fred and Dolly get into a nasty argument. Otto can hear them fighting all the way up in his cramped little room, and fearing Dolly was in danger, he burst into the room, pointing two guns at Fred. Can you imagine Fred's shock once he recognized Otto as the man who fixed sewing machines in Wisconsin? There's a struggle between Fred and Otto, and the gun goes off, and Fred falls to the ground, dead. Dolly panics. Otto comes up with the idea to lock her in her closet, and then he takes a couple of expensive items and flees back to his room. They knew the neighbors would certainly hear the gunshot. This way, Dolly would have an alibi. So, of course, the police show up, and while they're looking at Fred's body, they hear banging noises coming from another area of the house. They go in search of the noise and find Dolly locked in the closet. This closet could only be locked from the outside, so obviously she had to have been put in there. Dolly tells the police there was a robbery. While she was hanging up her furs, she was shoved in the closet from behind, and the door was locked. She had heard an altercation and a gunshot, and had been screaming for her husband. Dolly tells the police that her husband was known to carry 300 to $600 cash in his pocket, but when the body was searched, 
they only found $3.10. It was later discovered that Fred's pocket watch was missing. It had a rather unique design, and it was nowhere to be found. The police canvassed the neighborhood, and everyone says they had never heard the Osterreichers fight. Fred owned the house free and clear, and they lived in a very affluent neighborhood and were an obvious target for robbers. All that, plus the fact that there were other reported robbery attempts in the neighborhood, led to no other obvious explanation other than a robbery gone wrong. So Dolly was free to go, and she was $142,000 richer, having inherited Fred's money. In case you're wondering, $142,000 back in 1922 is the equivalent of about $2.3 million now. But one detective, Detective Klein, had a funny feeling about Dolly, and he repeatedly brings her in for questioning. She is accompanied by attorney Herman Shapiro. Eventually, the case goes cold because Detective Klein can't find anything on Dolly. At this point, you might be thinking Otto and Dolly are now free to have a relationship out in the open, or at the very least, that Otto is able to walk freely in the house, and stay in an actual bedroom rather than the cramped attic. But Dolly, now a widow, moves to another house January 1923, and Otto moved with her into the attic. Dolly also has herself a new lover, and it's Herman Shapiro, her attorney. Things get a little crazy from here on out, meaning it's complicated and confusing in some ways. So hopefully I'm able to give you the information so that you can really understand the timeline. But it was very difficult to get everything really pieced together in a coherent timeline because there's a lot of moving parts here. I mean, I say it's crazy, but it's like, you know, because keeping a man in your attic as your sex slave and personal maid isn't weird enough on its own. But it it does get somewhat odd. Odd Odder, I should say. After moving, Dolly seeks out Roy Klum, who is a motion picture producer and an Osterreicher family friend. She reaches out to Klum because she has a twenty-five caliber pistol that she wanted to dispose of, and she asked Clum to get rid of it for her. So Clum takes it out to the La Brea tar pits and tosses it. Now, you might think, how? why would he take it to such a populated area? But we're talking the 1920s. So 1923, the tar pits look entirely different than they do currently. It was a pretty desolate area, and anyone could just walk up to the tar pits day or night. Very few people around, so it's actually a pretty decent area to get rid of something like a gun. In addition to Clum, Dolly also approached another family friend, J.E. Faber, and his wife. Faber was a Christian science practitioner, the same as Fred Osterreich. Dolly approaches the Fabers to have them get rid of another second gun, and they did. Faber buried it in a vacant lot. She actually told them she thought it would be best to remove the pistols from the house for fear the police might suspect her of Fred's murder. Shocking. 
Part of the confusing part here is that there's some information that says Dolly and Roy Klum were also having an affair, and honestly, that makes more sense to me as to why he might agree to dispose of a gun. It's said that when she broke things off with Klum, he went to the police and told them about the gun. Police end up finding both guns, and even though they're the same caliber as the murder weapon, they are too corroded to be able to definitively be determined that they were, in fact, the murder weapon. Detective Klein, however, feels he now has sufficient evidence to arrest Dolly Osterreicher for the murder of her husband, Fred, and she's arrested on July 12, 1923, almost a full year after the murder. Herman Shapiro, her new lover, has been living with Dolly since January of 1923. Dolly now has a new attorney, though, because Shapiro is no longer practicing law. Prior to moving in with Dolly, Shapiro's wife sued him for divorce and stated she should receive all the assets and funds because she supported her husband, Herman Shapiro, throughout the marriage, set up his law office, and that he didn't contribute to the household expenses. And she won. So Herman Shapiro had no home, no office, and no money. He basically had only the clothes on his back. And that's when he moved in with Dolly and closed his law practice. But the two were devoted to one another, as much as someone can be devoted and still have a sex slave in the attic, I guess. And Dolly calls Shapiro and asks him to come see her in jail. On his first visit to her in jail, the police notice he's wearing a very unique pocket watch. In fact, it's identical to the description of the watch that was stolen from Fred Osterreicher in the burglary where he was murdered. When questioned, Shapiro says that when Dolly was packing to move after the murder, she found the watch, and Shapiro convinced her to just give it to him. When Shapiro visits her in jail the second time, she's sobbing and upset, crying that he doesn't have any food. She finally tells Herman Shapiro that her vagabond half-brother is living in the house and he needs him to get him some food. So Herman Shapiro gets the groceries, scratches on the wall, which was an indication to Otto that he could come out, and out pops Otto Sanhuber. Otto, starved for attention, ends up admitting who he really is and the nature of his relationship with Dolly. He also tells Shapiro what really happened to Fred Osterreicher. Shapiro ends up sending Otto to San Francisco. In the meantime, there's a preliminary hearing to see if Dolly will stand trial or not. Her attorneys argue that Roy Klum and J.E. Farber both owed Dolly some money and that when she went to collect, they tried to pin the murder on her. She is, of course, bonded over for trial and remains in jail until August 1923. She was released on $50,000 bond. That's the equivalent of $806,000 now. Her trial was postponed 10 different times, and by January 1925, the charges were dropped by the DA because the evidence was not sufficient enough to justify conviction. So now Dolly's life settles down, right? Everything goes normal. Normal. Otto's been sent to San Francisco. He's no longer lurking up in the attic. She can get on with her life. 
The short answer is no. In 1928, she has a squabble with Shapiro. Back in 1923, Herman Shapiro and Dolly start the Automobile Loan Corporation. The business made loans on car purchases and invested in real estate. But in 1928, Dolly files a lawsuit asking for the dissolution of the company and and an accounting of the money Shapiro was investing for her. Because she didn't trust that Shapiro was on the up and up with what exactly he was doing with her money. And now we're going to introduce another gentleman by the name of Ray Hedrick, because we don't have enough men. In 1928, Dolly is suing Shapiro for the disillusion of the business and to try to get an accounting of what he did with her money. In the meantime, Dolly is also being sued by a woman named Genevieve Hedrick for $300,000 for alienation of affections of her husband, Ray Hedrick. She also filed suit against Ray, asking to split their assets, and also had a restraining order placed to prevent Ray from buying or selling anything until the suit was settled. Genevieve was actually given police protection because she started getting death threats written and via the phone from the very moment she filed the lawsuits. In her complaint, she says that she and Ray were happy until Dolly came along, and that Dolly plied Ray with liquor and gave him money and gifts. Dolly denied the allegations, especially the death threats, and she filed a countersuit against Genevieve's mother for $500,000 for slander, because the mother was the one who told the police that Dolly was behind the threats. But wait, there's more. Ray Hedrick then files suit against Genevieve, his wife, saying she was abusive, beat, shoved, and kicked him, and inflicted serious and painful injuries, and then even called him the Dutch blockhead. Maybe he was a Dutch blockhead, because, uh, I don't know. The case was eventually settled privately, and there is no information on what that settlement was. So, I'm going to sum that up really quick. She is ticked with Herman Shapiro, her live-in lover, or former live-in lover, thinks he's stealing money from her, wants to get out of business with him, wants to know what he did with her money. In the meantime, she's at some point met Ray Hedrick. I did see some uh, mention that he was her neighbor. So she meets Ray. I'm going to guess they start having an affair. It really wasn't spelled out specifically, But I'm going to assume that they're now having an affair because Ray's wife, Genevieve, is suing Dolly because she's saying, hey, my husband isn't with me because he's with you. And back in the 20s, you could sue. You could do that if your husband was cheating on you. With a woman, um, you could sue the woman for alienation of affection for money and get money for it. So she sues Dolly because she's blaming Dolly for her husband leaving. And then there's this woman's getting death threats. I would have to place a lot of value on the fact that it it probably was Dolly who was threatening the woman. I would say Dolly or somebody associated with her or Ray were doing that. But then Dolly sues the woman's mother because the mother's the one who went to the police and said, hey, this Dolly woman's threatening my daughter. 
So she sues her for slander. And then Ray turns around and sues his soon-to-be ex-wife, saying she's abusive and beat the crap out of me and called me mean names. And they settle out of court. So I don't know who won, who got what, who was found to be truthful, but that's what was going on because Dolly can't seem to live life and just be normal. While all that was going on, Otto finds his way from San Francisco to Portland and meets and marries a woman named Matilda, and they end up moving back to L.A. And while in L.A., Herman Shapiro comes across Otto and forces him to work for him. Otto eventually refuses to continue working for Shapiro, and Shapiro is apparently not very happy about this. Then in 1930, there is a newspaper article that kind of renewed interest in several different cold cases, one of them being the murder of Fred Osterreich. We can't forget Fred. His is the murder this entire thing is about. It seems to have gotten lost in all of the other mega drama that is going on, but Fred's murder really is at the center of this entire episode. Or maybe it's Dolly's crazy life. Either way. So, in 1930, there is renewed interest in the case, and it invites anyone with any information to contact the newspaper. So in 1930, Herman Shapiro finally goes to the police with an affidavit outlining how Dolly had someone living in her attic who was responsible for the murder of her husband, Fred Osterreich. Otto and Dolly are both arrested. Otto tells police that he was afraid for Dolly when he heard her and Fred fighting and that he grabbed his pistol that he had on hand for burglars. During Otto's trial, it was suggested that Roy Klum murdered Fred and that Otto claimed Shapiro was in fact the murderer. So during trial, his attorney said Roy Klum was heard that Otto was locked in his room and that he heard Roy Klum come in and murder Fred. Now, Otto was a very slight man. He's very skinny and small. Fred was a larger man. Roy Klum was closer to the same size as Fred. So, honestly, logically, it's not a stretch to think that Roy Klum would have an easier time overpowering Fred than Otto would. But, then Otto turns around and says that Shapiro is the one who was the murderer and that he coached Otto on telling people that it was self-defense. In the end, though, it, that, none of that worked. In Fred's, in, not Fred, he's dead. Fred's dead. Um, in his original statement, Otto said that when he arrived downstairs, Fred looked at him and said, what are you doing here, you dirty rat? Because Fred knew who Otto was. He was the man he caught his wife with back in Milwaukee. Eventually, Otto was found guilty of manslaughter, but because the statute of limitations had expired on manslaughter, he was released to go live his life with his wife, and I sincerely hope that he had a very happy life with Matilda. Since Dolly was locked in the closet and not part of the murder, she was free. She actually said of Otto, he was like a faithful dog with a human soul. In 1961, Dolly marries Ray Hedrick 
and dies two weeks later from cancer. Hedrick inherits all of her money. Otto was asked at trial why he stayed with Dolly, and he said, Dolly was the only person in the whole world who cared whether Otto Sanhuber lived or died. I just had to be near her, and I chose the only way I knew to accomplish that. Without a doubt, while Berga, Dolly Osterreich was some type of serious narcissist. If you don't know what I'm talking about, look up narcissistic personality disorder. You will most definitely agree with me. Also during the trial, Otto actually said that there were days where he would have sex with Dolly up to eight times per day. And that sometimes she spoke meanly to him and treated him like crap. I feel really bad for Otto. He never really had a family where he could have any kind of normal idea about what love should be like, I guess. Really, Dolly controlled his entire life. He had to stay in this attic room a good bit of the time. He only came out when she wanted some. Uh, when he had to clean her house, because that's the other thing he did. He didn't just act as her sex slave. And that's Otto's words. He actually said he was her sex slave. But he was the maid. He came down and cleaned the house and then made illegal gin in the bathtub. So um, I feel bad for Otto. He did actually apparently get one of his stories that he wrote while he was in the attic Um, one of them was published and I think it was entitled Murder Will Out, but I don't think anybody's actually found that publication. He wrote under a pseudonym, so he did not use his real name. And I just want to tell you how creepy it is to think of somebody living in your attic without you knowing it. Can you imagine that? I can, because... Once upon a time, I was renting a house where there was somebody who basically was squatting in this home that was for sale, and he wouldn't leave. He was running a whole giant scam. It's a very long story. You don't need to know the rest of it, but he wouldn't leave. So they evicted him, and when it was time to take possession of the house, the local constable actually had to come to the house and make sure he wasn't there hiding on the premises. And one of the places they looked, he climbed up. This house didn't even have an attic, really. It was more like a very small sort of crawl space in the upper part of the house, in the rafters of the house. The constable actually searched up there and told me, of course, I'm like, really, do people really do that? And he said, yes, he actually searched up there and found that somebody that was supposed to have been evicted had been living in a small attic space and would come down at night while the family was asleep. I don't know about you. I just got chills. That is the, that's terrifying to me to think that somebody you don't know could be lurking in your house. See what I did there? Could be lurking around and walking around your house and watching you sleep at night and eating your food I don't know. It just creeps me out. That just creeps me out. So that's going to do it for this episode. 
You can find Lurk wherever you listen to your favorite podcast or at lurkpodcast.com. You can also find the social media links on the website. If you have a moment, it would help us out immensely if you could give us a five-star review. And just a reminder that September 24th, which is the day after this episode releases, um, Lurk will be at the Whitehall, New York Sasquatch Calling Festival. I believe there are over 70 vendors this year, so quite the number of people out there. If you're in the area, definitely stop out. It was a great time last year. Come by the booth, tell us, hey, grab a t-shirt. And until next time, keep lurking. But not in anybody's attic, because that's creepy. Thank you.